Closer Look is a public affairs presentation. Views and opinions of the guests don't always reflect the views of the ministry, and some topics aren't suitable for children. K-Love is committed to community. Closer Look continues with a look at local agencies, events, and issues. Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Kendra Ponzio, and our guest today is B. Black, CEO of WCA, and we're going to be talking about domestic violence. Welcome, B. Thank you so much, Kendra. It is my pleasure to be able to join you today. Tell us what domestic violence is. I mean, I think that we have this concept of it's just hitting or physical abuse, but it's really a lot more than that. So in a nutshell, can you tell us what domestic violence is? And we'll go into it more in depth in a few minutes. Absolutely. So I like to set it up and frame it by, first of all, telling you what our mission is, which is safety, healing, and freedom from domestic abuse. And we use the word abuse because, to your point, Kendra, uh, domestic abuse encompasses not just physical violence, but it encompasses so much more because domestic abuse can take the form of psychological manipulation and abuse. It can take the, the form of financial abuse. There are so many non-physical ways that one individual can exert control over another. And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about domestic abuse. Can you give us a little history of WCA and what it stands for? Yes. So I have been with the organization now for 12 years. And during that time, the organization celebrated 100 years of existence as part of that I was able to be part of a group of, frankly, some older donors that were very interested and wanting to preserve the history. So I had an opportunity to work with them on our centennial book, and through that learned quite a bit about the organization. It started in 1910 here in Boise as the YWCA, Young Women's Christian Association. It was five young women who decided that they needed to band together and help younger women moving in from the rural parts of Idaho have safe places where they could connect and socialize and know that they could be safe. So that is the history. Now, fast forward to the 1980s. By the time the 1980s hit, there really wasn't a need for young women to live in a YWCA facility because by that time they felt that there were other places within a community that they could safely live. And so the need for having that safe place to live within Boise had uh, pretty much gone away. And so the organization then took a look and looked around and said, you know, where do we want to focus our attention? And that's really when they pivoted to working more with individuals who had suffered the trauma of domestic abuse or of intimate partner violence. And so in um, the 1980s, that happened. In 1996, the organization disaffiliated from the YWCA, and that's when it became just the WCA. And so we are a wholly owned 501c3 local to Boise, but really what we do 
is informative of many other communities. In other words, you know, the kind of outreach we do, the messages we share, we hope it reaches far and wide because if we can open someone's eyes to what they might be in a not very positive relationship, then maybe they will seek help from an organization close to them that can help them work through those difficult times. B, how did you get involved? What brought you to this place? Give us your history. You know, I tell people that I am one of those blessed individuals that spent 33 years training for this job. I just didn't know this was the job I was training for. So when I say that, I spent my first 30 years working for small for-profit organizations that were involved with the development of software. I'm an accountant by background, and so the software that I was involved with and, and the work I did consisted of implementing financial accounting systems. Fast forward, and I spent three years with Neighborhood Housing Services. That was my first foray into nonprofit work. And um, it really opened my eyes to the nonprofit world and I believe set me up for then transitioning into this role here with the WCA. One of the things I learned in working with Neighborhood Housing Services is that while every organization needs to be run in a business-like manner, there are nuances in nonprofit organization work that mean that you can't exactly run it as a for-profit business all the time. So, uh, for example, if you have grant funding and you need to remain in compliance with that grant funding, that may mean that there are things that you can't necessarily stop doing um, from the standpoint that if that's what you've committed to, then you have to continue doing those things, if, if that's a way of sort of explaining that nuance. Now, one of the things that attracted me to the WCA is that I believe that the most important thing that any of us have and the most important thing that any of us can impart to our children or loved ones is a sense of self-worth. If we have a sense of self-worth, then we can withstand just about anything. If we don't have that sense of self-worth, then it is easier for us to fall into a relationship where we can be manipulated or we can have that sense of self-worth eroded even further. So that spoke to me when I was looking at the WCA and looking at this position, and I saw it as a way to be able to give back to a community that I care very deeply for, and I saw it as a way to assist individuals to either regain if they've lost it or to find and grow if they've never had it because potentially they could have grown up in a very abusive relationship. So I saw it as a way to help individuals regain or rebuild um, a sense of self-worth, and that's very meaningful to me. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Closer Look. I'm Kendra Ponzio, and our guest is B. Black, CEO of WCA, and we're talking about domestic violence. Tell us about the services that you provide. So I'll refer us back to our mission statement because it's a nice way to encapsulate our services. So when we talk about safety, healing, and freedom, under what I consider to be safety, 
are the fact that we have a couple of hotlines that we operate 24-7 where individuals can call. They can really call from anywhere in the country. They can call and talk to a specially trained client advocate to learn more about the services that we offer to basically receive validation if their relationship is abusive, you know, kind of that sense of, of am I crazy or is this really something I should be concerned about, that type of validation. We have safe shelter where individuals can live for up to eight months while they receive the wraparound services that we offer in our safe shelter. We have court advocates who will go to the courthouse with individuals who are filing civil protection orders and who will sit with those same individuals when they have their 14-day hearings. They're not attorneys, but they are simply there to be a support to the individual who is filing a civil protection order because they are so afraid for their life. Other forms of safety that we provide, other services, include a safety planning, which is done one-on-one with one of our court advocates. And it's uh, helping individuals put together their own safety plan. So it's maybe what would you put in a to-go bag? Where would you keep a to-go bag if all of a sudden you have to run out in the middle of the night? And where could you, who, who might be a safe person to leave that with? So that's under the safety. When we talk about healing, we have five master-level clinicians who provide therapy sessions to women, men, children. All of the residents in our shelter receive those therapy sessions, as well as community clients who may not be living in our shelter. They can also come in and see one of our clinicians. So that's under healing. Our licensed child care, I would also put under healing. It provides a safe space for children who are living with their moms in our shelter, and they receive, in our licensed child care, they receive the support and the care of specially trained staff that work with them in that child care. And that staff also then can help mom work with the kids in terms of uh, enhancing their relationships. With respect to freedom, I talk about our case managers. They are our problem solvers, and they will work with our clients, again, both residential and community, to figure out what next? How do I move forward? I'm working through this trauma that I have experienced, but I need to be able to figure out how am I going to be able to live independently. It may mean that they need to engage in a job skills training course. They may need to go through our financial empowerment classes, learn how to manage their funds. It may mean that they need to get their GED. They may need to finish up their education. They may never have thought about furthering their education. So it's just a whole host of things that our case managers will help an individual work with. And it's, again, a very individualized plan and program for each one of our clients. So I'm very proud of all the complement of services because, you know, the safe shelter is probably what locally we're best known for, and it's obviously a very critical component. 
But if we didn't have the wraparound services of counseling and licensed childcare and case management, financial empowerment, group therapy sessions, and job skills training, then those are the components that our clients can take advantage of to be able to move forward and create a healthy life for themselves and their kids. You mentioned men in the shelter. What kind of stats can you share with us? It's not just women anymore, right? I'm really glad you mentioned that, Kendra, because all our services except our residential shelter are available for men. So children can come with their moms and male children can come with their moms up to the age of 18. After that, as an adult, they cannot live in our shelter with their mom. But up to that age, they can. If a man were to come to us and need to have safe shelter, then we have arrangements with local hotels where we could put him and his children up if that became necessary. But all the other services, court advocacy, uh, case management, counseling, those are all available to, to men. And actually, we average it throughout our services probably 17 to 21% of our clients are male during any given year. Those are very interesting statistics. We don't think of men as being victims, but apparently they are. You know, they are. And uh, I hate to say it, but women can be just as manipulative as men can. And I remember talking to one young man who came to one of our outreach tours, and what he shared was that uh, a woman he was dating and who he had come to care for, her son, her young son, um, how she would manipulate him is by making him look bad to her son if he didn't basically toe the line and uh, do what she wanted which when you stop and think about that, is a very cruel form of manipulation. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Closer Look. I'm Kendra Ponzio, and our guest is B. Black, CEO of WCA. We're talking about domestic violence. B., what kind of impact does domestic violence have on the kids and even infants? Well, uh, many times when we talk with, with our clients, They think that because they have had their arguments in a separate room, maybe on a different floor, that the kids are not experiencing it. But kids are incredibly intuitive, and they have very good hearing. Uh, And so they are aware of what goes on, even if they are not present. And I would say that even our courts and our system, our judicial system, have become more aware of that as, as well because some of the some of the what has become enhanced are penalties for doing or performing domestic violence acts in the presence of a child and in the presence could even mean that the child is in an adjacent room so even infants you know i think the more we learn about the development of children the more we learn about how much they take in, particularly in their infancy, the more it makes sense that when there is antagonism, when there is discord, when there is particularly physical, obviously, but also just mental abuse and control, it's going to impact that child. And instead of 
feeling that they are in a safe space, they're going to be more apprehensive, more nervous, and they don't start their life out feeling that they are in a safe place. And my heart breaks for children that are not able to start their life that way. Are there predictors that someone is entering into a potentially abusive relationship? I would say that there are not necessarily predictors, but I would submit that there are certainly some warning signs. So a couple of them that we share in our outreach, if somebody is always insisting on knowing where you are, on knowing exactly what your actions are going to be every day, if they are calling you at work all the time, of course, most of us, many are not at work right now, but but the point is we may still be working even if we're working from home, right? But if somebody is calling to check up on you all the time, um, those are red flags, as is someone who insists on seeing your phone. They, they want to look at your phone. They want to look at your messages. Those are personal items, and that is not necessarily something that somebody else should have access to. They also may comment on and want to control what your hair looks like, what your haircut is, your color of your hair, what clothes you're wearing. I remember a young girl who had us come out and talk to her school. She had been completely controlled by her boyfriend through her cell phone. And so it was, it was such a destructive relationship. He would call her first thing in the morning she would have to take a picture of what she was going to wear to school, and then he would let her know whether that was acceptable. You know, that, that is, that's a red flag. So there are flags that come up. Invasion of your own personal space, isolating you from family and friends. Maybe they never want to go with you to a family function. Then the next step is they don't like you going to a family function. They don't approve of your friends. They don't want you going out with your friends. And it can start very harmlessly at first. It can be, well, I just care so much about you. I just want you to be with me all the time. Those are all potential red flags. B, do you partner with other organizations in the community? I mean, how can you do all of this? (laughs) Absolutely. One of our, I would say, bottom line criteria as an organization is we try not to duplicate services. There is unfortunately more than enough work to go around. And so we partner with organizations that provide the job skills training, for example. We partner with organizations that offer also specialized counseling. If, for example, there's a somebody that we can't specifically work with or help, maybe they need to see a psychiatrist as opposed to a clinician. We partner with agencies that provide housing because once our clients are moving out of the shelter, they will need to move into longer-term housing. And we may have clients, as I mentioned before, that don't even live in our shelter and they need to find a place of their own. So we do partner with so many different organizations as well as other organizations that help bring joy into the lives of our clients. So one that I can think of off the top of my head is called Mini Joys, and it's a nonprofit that has the miniature horses. 
and they will bring those miniature horses to our shelter to provide some horse therapy for our residents and their kids. So, absolutely, we could not do this work without the support, the engagement, the encouragement of such a vibrant nonprofit community that we have here in our, in our community. We support each other, and we try to do what we can. How are you funded? We receive our funding in two main ways. About 50% of our three-plus million dollar funding comes in the way of grants. Most of that is federal funding, a number of different federal grants that we receive. Uh, Our state really does not provide much funding. There's a little bit of funding that comes through some court fees specifically for domestic violence victims. The other 50% of our funding comes from individuals, companies, private foundations. So we work very hard at doing our outreach, engaging individuals who feel passionately about this work, who want to support us, and the same is said of the organizations and the companies that want to support us. You know, the thing that I don't know that every organization recognizes this, but domestic violence plays a big part of every organization. It hardly matters which organization you're in. You are paying the price for having employees who are suffering from living in abusive or violent relationships. In fact, there's even a matrix where you can go online and you can plug in how many people work in your company, what the average pay is, and it will calculate for you the bottom line cost to the organization of domestic violence. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Thank you, Kendra. I would like to say to anybody listening, if you have any questions in your mind or any concerns about whether you might be in an abusive relationship, please reach out. Reach out to a local service provider. There is no harm in calling. Most service providers, like we are, will take your calls. They can be anonymous. just gives you an opportunity to talk about what's going on and find out if there's any reason for you to be worried. Give us your contact information, B. If someone wants to talk to you about anything we've spoken about today, what would be the best way to get to do that? Absolutely. So my email is the letter B and then my last name, Black. So B-B-L-A-C-K at W-C-A-B-O-I-S-E dot O-R-G. Our website is W-C-A-Boise. Dot O-R-G. And our hotline number is 208-343-7025. And again, anyone is welcome to call that hotline number from anywhere. Thanks to our guest, CEO B. Black. For more information on WCA, email us at closerlook at klove.com. That's closerlook at klove.com. For Closer Look, I'm Kendra Ponzio. This has been Klove Closer Look. Find us online at klove.com.